welcome to season two, episode six of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and or debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as a pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. And along with me today is my co-host, Patrick Reed. He's a pre-field missionary with ABWE, and he's heading out soon to the Gambia in Africa. He's also a member of our church here in Herlock. How are you, Patrick? I'm doing pretty well today. How are you? Not too bad. You might hear some uh, noise in the background. I'm actually sitting in uh, Cracker Barrel on Kent Island eating uh, Maine blueberry pancakes. So uh, I had a, a trip that I had to make this morning and it cut into, uh, into this schedule here, this podcast recording. So that's why uh, I'm trying to kill two birds with one, one stone here today. So today we're honored to have with us uh, as a guest on our program, Zach Lewis. I actually know Zach because I knew his father, Shane, and uh, grateful to have Zach on the podcast today. Zach, how are you? I'm doing well, David. Uh, thanks for having me on today. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be able to be a guest on Grace or Grit. Yeah, well, we're, we're super happy to have you. Didn't you spend the night at, at my house a year or two ago? I did. I, um, I traveled for the college I attended, and, um, and me and my team stayed at your house, got to hang out with your, with your boys, uh, played a little bit of soccer, played some basketball. Uh, we had a good time. It was a lot of fun. Sang a little bit. It was a lot of fun. The college you attended, it almost sounds like you're ashamed of it or something. You know, I attended that same college. No, I just, you know. <laughs> On most on most podcasts I listen to, people remain anonymous with their associations. So that's right. You never know who. Well, I ain't listening to them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we won't we won't tell them that that you went out to school in uh, you know um, Utah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> right. So, um, just getting to know you uh, a little here um, as I introduce you to our to our uh, listeners. What church are you currently a member of, and where you? What are you doing serving there right now? Um, so I'm on staff at Pinecrest Baptist Church in McDonough, Georgia. Uh, it's about 20 miles south of Atlanta. And I assist in the young adults ministry. And then I'm also heavily involved in our media ministry, the graphic design, and then also the music, putting it together and, and helping our uh, music director have the music ministry flowing smoothly. So, ah, Sounds like you and Patrick might have some things in common. Yeah. Patrick, tell him what you tell him what you've been doing uh, at Grace for the past uh, I don't know six months at least eight months or so. Yeah, I was uh, taking care of a lot of the audio video. You know, we set up a whole new system in there, and so yeah, a whole lot of that. Yeah, so I'm sure you know. It's fun. It's fun stuff. <laughs> fun stuff. Well, I'm just glad that I don't have to do it too much. Yeah, I would. I would definitely make a mess if I had my hand in it too much. I know just <laughs> enough to be dangerous. Yeah. Well, Zach, why don't you take a few minutes and tell us more about yourself? Tell us uh, how you came to know the Lord as your Savior, uh, what you believe God's call on your life is, and what your hope and plan for the future is, you know, your career and so so forth. Just give us your testimony of God's grace in your life. Yeah, so um, I grew up in a pastor's home, you know, church. Every time the doors were open, always serving. Um, even as a child, I remember serving, moving tables and chairs, everything like that. And then in junior high, the Lord started convicting me on, on salvation. And 
it was something I was always familiar with. I had always, uh, I knew what the gospel was. Um, and when I was 12, instead of making a, a genuine salvation decision, I decided to come up with a story that, you know, would be believable to people. I, I remember I'd been baptized when I was eight. I don't remember a, you know, salvation decision then, but uh, so I told everybody that I was saved at eight years old at church camp. And that's the story I went with until, well, for years through high school, I surrendered to preach in high school, still unsaved and went to Bible college as a, as a ministry major, went through freshman year, sophomore year, still not saved. And then junior year, the first semester, they do a, a opening, uh, conference and opening revival. And, uh, one of my pastor friends, he pastors in Macon, Georgia. He was preaching and sharing his testimony about how he had been a youth pastor for seven years before he finally got his salvation settled. He was 31 years old, and that really convicted me. It was a person I looked up to, and uh, really pride was the only thing holding me back from that salvation decision. And seeing someone like that that I respected, I admired, seeing you know what it took for him to get saved and how God had to work in his life, um, that really convicted me. And so I met with him later. Uh, the next day. And um, he, he led me to the Lord. I prayed, accepted Christ as my savior. And now since then, I've uh, at, the, at first I struggled with my uh, with my call to preach. Was it a genuine was it a genuine call? I wasn't saved at the time. But the more I'm, I'm learning, the more time I spend with the Lord, the more I know that, uh, you know, the gospel ministry full time in a local church setting is what he's called me to do. And eventually just to preach the gospel through the pastorate of a local church. And that is what, um, that's what I believe he's called me to do. And so right now I'm serving uh, in, an, in an assistant role, in a support role uh, to the pastor, and then just learning from him, uh, being mentored by him. And then eventually I'd like to go out and pastor a church. That's awesome. Well, Samson was certainly called to preach before he was even born. So, Yeah. <laughs> You're in pretty good company there, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Yeah. Today's episode's a little bit different than uh, many of our former episodes. And I don't know what I'll end up uh, calling this one. Uh, right now, the title is The Life and Legacy of Shane Lewis. Um, Fifteen years ago, I moved from North Alabama, uh, your old stomping ground and mine, to the eastern shore of Maryland. And uh, I had to leave a classroom without a teacher down at Bethel Baptist School in Hartsville, Alabama. I know you know all about that. Yep. Your father, Shane, was the one who stepped in. At least he's the one they told me uh, would be stepping in on a short notice to set me free. And uh, I, I rather doubt he had time to do that. Uh, but it allowed me the freedom to take off and uh, begin ministering as a senior pastor for the first time. I had been youth pastor there at Bethel for about six years. And, uh, of course, your father was already serving as a full-time senior pastor at Somerville Baptist, which was just a few miles down the road from our church. And uh, I'm quite certain, knowing what I know now, that he didn't have enough time <laughs> to yeah. uh, be teaching on the side while he was pastoring. But apparently he was willing yeah. to step in anyway. And, um, I don't actually know how long he did that. I left in October. Do you know how long he was in the classroom? So I know uh, for sure he at least taught it through the rest of the school year. Um, and then he also, uh, he also coached basketball at the school, but what, what a lot of people don't know is that, you know, having four kids at that time and, um, pastoring a, you know, a church of 
any between one one twenty and one fifty, especially with a family that big. You know, the salary wasn't you know what it would be you know in a church of a thousand. And so uh, dad was actually working three jobs. He would he went to UPS in the mornings at three or four in the morning, and um, and he would load the trucks with the with the boxes and packages for deliveries, which he said was the hardest job he's ever done in his life. It's just running back and forth. But um, so he would do that in the mornings and then uh, he would go home, take a shower and then go teach at Bethel. And I, I can still remember as a kid, I was I was six years old and seeing my dad at night in the recliner reading a chemistry textbook. And I thought that was I thought that was the craziest thing because he was a pastor. I didn't know that he was teaching at the time and all those things. But I do remember that vividly. Uh, so he would teach at the school. And then when he got off uh, at the school. When he got done with those classes, he would go and start the work of a senior pastor, the church work until, you know, 10, 11, uh, 12 at night. And then, you know, four or five hours later, it just started all over again. And so those days were very busy for him. And so God really worked in that and it, it tried him and it stretched him. But uh, I truly believe God used that to um, to really, you know, minister to people. There's people still in our church today from those days at Bethel, um, that he ministered to and, um, and loved on. And it's, uh, it's just cool to see, uh, how God used those two other jobs to really help him to minister to people. And, uh, we even see the fruit from that today. Well, that would have been 2005. So how old were you in 2005? I was, I would have been six years old. I was in first, first or second grade. So we had just, we had just moved. Um, and I came in uh, halfway through the first semester of first grade. And so that was, uh, that was a little bit of a transition uh, for me, uh, moving from Dallas and, uh, you know, it's super busy. And then, you know, bam, you're, you're going to a, a school of, I don't know, at that time, 100 maybe in, in Hartsville, Alabama. And so uh, I enjoyed it. It wasn't a hard transition for me, but it was different for sure. Well, your your father would preach in chapel from time to time while while I was still there, uh, uh, not too many times, but I remember him at least two or three times there. And uh, Sarpaz uh, crossed from time to time, but my knowledge of him is limited. Uh, casual conversations, obviously his social media presence, and his preaching. Watch some of his videos online. And people that associated with him and that he associated with, and that we all pass judgment on each other based on those things. Uh, yeah. But my knowledge of him is is uh, somewhat limited. So why don't you just uh, kind of fill in some gaps here? Let's look at his story backwards. Uh, you and your family um, had to say goodbye to your father recently. When was that exactly, and what happened? So. Um... June 20, 21st at about 5.30 a.m., dad uh, was at home and sleeping, and he never woke up. And, um, and I was actually working at a Christian camp in North Carolina, um, the Wilds Christian camp, and I had just broken my finger and pretty bad. And so I was, um, I was off for that week of camp. And I was going to serve in a, uh, you know, maintenance assistant role, whatever. And so I was in the cabins on the whole, whole other side of the camp, not where the counselors were. It was me and a couple other guys. Actually, my roommate from college was in the cabin as well. And so uh, I, I woke up to my phone ringing 
and um, it was probably 630 in the morning. And and it was mom. And you can always tell by the tone of voice that something's wrong. And um, I had gotten several of those calls over the last three years. And I could tell this was one of those calls. And so I throw a hoodie on. It was probably, I don't know, 45 degrees. It was cool outside. I, I go outside and I'm standing in the middle of the circle of cabins. And mom says, Zach, he's gone. And I, you know, I, obviously I lost it. Um, I just sat on the ground and cried, you know, for probably 30, 45 minutes. And it was, um, it was father's day, the worst, the worst of all days to lose your father. And, um, I already set aside time to, to talk to him that day after he had woken up and it was just, a, it was just a lot. Um, it was just a lot to deal with at that time. And so I got on a plane that afternoon and, uh, and flew home and started, you know, planning the funeral and, uh, something you never want to do, but that's kind of how, that's kind of how that day went. Um, so it's, it's nothing I, I would wish on any, on my worst enemy, but God is, is slowly using it in my life. And I'm still trying to kind of figure out what he's trying to do through it. But, uh, I do trust that he is using it. Well, tell me, tell me about his battle. I mean, uh, what, yeah. what, what, how long ago did he find it was cancer? Yeah. How, how long ago did he find out? And you yeah. know, what was it? What was that journey about? So, um, October of 2017, early November, he, uh, he was experiencing a lot of back pain. He was actually, uh, he and my mom were on their 25th anniversary trip and they were going, um, from place to place everywhere they had served in ministry. And just, you know, three or four days at each spot. And they were in Texas, um, in Dallas, where dad had grown up in high school and just incredible back pain. And so he went to the emergency room. They, um, they, they looked at him and, and he went home and the back pain just wouldn't stop. And it got uh, more excruciating as the days went by. And so he went to the doctor and they thought it might have something to do with his heart. They run tests and, and it's nothing. It wasn't anything, you know. Uh, he had pulled a muscle or nothing like that. And so they do some blood work. And when the blood work came back, the doctor comes into the room and, and says, Pastor Lewis, you have leukemia. And so me and, and two of my siblings were at college in Florida. And, and my mom called us and I can remember where we were. David, you know where this is. It's on the steps of, uh, of the old auditorium on the campus um, of the college we attended. Um, and, and mom said, guys, your dad has leukemia and it, I'm, I had never experienced cancer in my immediate family. I had an aunt, um, who had, who had breast cancer, but, um, it was, I didn't, I didn't know what emotions to feel, um, how to respond. And so we, we went back home the next day we drove up to, to Alabama and dad was in the hospital. They were, they were seeing what treatment plan they needed to do. And it was the week of Thanksgiving. And, and so uh, of all, of all weeks to find out you have cancer the week that you should be giving thanks. And so the doctor let us be home for Thanksgiving for a few days. And then uh, that Friday he started treatments. And so um, he started treatments and we were there for about a week and then we went back to school and then dad got a virus because the, the chemo he was on makes your immune system vulnerable. 
and he had got a, a deadly virus and he went to ICU, almost, almost died there, but uh, he lived through that and then uh, did treatment after treatment after treatment. And um, December 18th of that same year, about a month later, we were sitting in there. He had just had a biopsy done and it was, it was myself, uh, my dad, um, dad's assistant at the time, Josh Grubbs, uh, my best friend, Matthew Clark, and actually the pastor I'm working for now, John Anderson, he had flown over for the day to be with dad. And, and the doctor comes in and says, uh, Pastor Lewis, the first results from your biopsy show that you're in remission. And that was, um, you know, that was an exciting day, um, a very hopeful day, and especially to get into remission that soon. And so that was, you know, really a breath, a breath of fresh air. And so he had to do maintenance chemotherapy for the next eight months. And so that, uh, that got pretty rough. Um, it can be very rough at times. And so uh, the next eight months happened. And then in August, September, he was good for the next year. Um, just kind of, you know, building his strength back, he would go in for routine checkups. And then September of September of 2019, I was walking out of chapel. Um, everything was good. The church was, you know, kind of getting back on their feet. Um, they had their pastor back and everything. And I'm walking into the, to the cafeteria, the dining hall and mom calls me and she says, Zach, the cancer came back. And so, you know, that was, that was defeating. It's like, you know, here we go again. And so I went home again for a week, about a week and, you know, just trying to help my family in the best way I could. I was the only one at, at school now at that time. And so dad does another round of chemo. They wanted to do a bone marrow transplant. And so uh, they wanted to get him into remission first. So in December, he was back in remission. And then in January, he went in for the bone marrow transplant. His sister was the donor. She was a perfect match. And for, um, you know, someone of a different gender and uh, different age and for a woman who's had children, um, the odds of it being a match for, for a man is almost close to none but it was a hundred percent perfect match. And so we knew, we knew God was working. It was obvious. Um, and so dad had the bone marrow transplant and he was in Nashville for a hundred days post transplant. So it ended, it ended up being about three and a half months that he was in, in Nashville, um, away from the church, just, you know, in a hospital room for a couple of weeks and then in an apartment for about two and a half months. And, um, that, that was driving me nuts. I flew, flew back to Nashville a couple of times to see him on his birthday and things like that. And then he was able to go home in April, I believe, mid-April. And then um, I graduated in May. It was a virtual graduation. So I was home for it. And um, he was there. He actually, he gave me his truck as a gift for, uh, for graduation, a 2000. 2008 Dodge Ram. It's in perfect condition. He's taken care of it since he bought it in 2008. Um, and so that was, that was pretty awesome. Uh, cause that was, that was his baby, but, and so got the truck and uh, everything's going good. And then in May we find out that the transplant didn't work and, um, and the cancer again was back and we thought, you know, it's a perfect match and everything went smoothly. There were no hiccups but cancer came back. And so at that point, according, according to dad, when we sat down and talked about it, it he had about a four, 4% chance to live. 
this last thing they were going to try was a 4% chance. And it was called um, T-cell therapy, I believe. And if there's any medical people listening to the podcast, I may be wrong in what I say, but this is, this is what I heard. So it's my story and I'm going to go with it. Um, but T-cell therapy, um, they, they take some of his cells and they send it off to Europe, Germany, somewhere there. And, and they re-engineer these cells to fight off the cancer cells. And um, apparently it's been successful in several cases. So they were going to try it. And so they harvested these cells and um, sent them off. And that was um, early June. And I went off to camp to work there uh, June 13th. And, um, and so I went off to camp. We had um, staff training week. I had a great week. Talked to dad quite a few times. And I can still remember the last conversation that I had with him where I was standing, what we talked about, uh, the last things he said to me. And, um, and then Sunday morning, uh, June 21st, uh, about 6.30, I, um, I got the call from mom that he had passed away. So that's kind of what his cancer journey looked like. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of highs and a lot of lows. God worked through a lot of it, though. God really, God really used cancer to break me. Uh, I told you my salvation decision was my junior year and I found out dad had cancer my sophomore year. So God was just chipping away at my heart, at my pride, my ego, and God really softened it using cancer to the point where I, I made that salvation decision. Yeah, the roller coaster um, of cancer is, uh, there's no words to describe it. Um, of hope and disappointment. My mother's been struggling with leukemia forever. I can't even remember how long ago it was she got it and uh, all the different treatments and such. And uh, yep. never mind the ending of the story. The story itself is, um, is incredibly difficult. Um, yeah. Tell me how your, your mother's doing, your, your siblings, your family as a whole, the church, how's some of the Baptist church doing? Yeah. So um, I'll start with family mom actually, um, you know, not to make, you know, bad things worse, but mom was diagnosed with, with breast cancer in the last couple of months and stage one, a very early, um, she had surgery and they were able to remove all the tumors. And, but, you know, especially for mom, no rest for the weary, you know, she's grieving her husband, getting over that, which getting through that, I don't know that she'll ever get over it. Um, or any of us will, but you know, just finding that out. And, you know, she understands more than anybody now the effect that cancer has on the person, on the caregiver, on the family. And, and so that's something, you know, we're really covering in prayer. God's obviously working and, and it's not as bad as it could be. I have a, I know of a person, um, a girl who's 24 years old who just, uh, she has stage four breast cancer. And it has spread and uh, it, it's always worse for somebody. And we understand that. And so we're just thanking God for um, uh, how small it was, how contained it was when it was caught. And so she starts chemo treatments um, uh, next week, but just praying that God would, would use this situation again. And, and we, we still pray in faith that God will heal her. Um, just like we pray with dad, God's plan wasn't to, wasn't to give dad his earthly healing but it gave him his ultimate heavenly healing. And so we just pray in faith, trusting that more than anything that God's will would be done through this situation. And so um, that's kind of the battle mom's having right now. Uh, my siblings, they all live, still live in Alabama. 
my brother-in-law is the youth pastor at my home church at Summer Roll Baptist. Uh, my sister is the kids ministry director. Uh, my brother's the music pastor. Uh, he's he's in an intern intern role because he hasn't gotten his bachelor's yet, but he's he's full time and and so I just call him the music pastor. But um, but yeah, so I have two siblings in high school, so everyone's uh, still engaged with the church, still involved. Uh, the church itself is doing well. The interim pastor is uh, the man who is dad's assistant. Uh, the last year and a half or so um, of dad's pastorate at Somerville. He's done a fantastic job, fantastic preacher, you know, very organized and just doing a great job. The church is doing well amid COVID, not having a a pastor. I can't speak highly enough of the interim pastor and the job he has done. And, you know, really, you know, humbling himself. I'm sure there's several jobs he could have taken where he could be the senior pastor and, you know, take charge and, um, you know, make all the decisions as you know, that senior pastors make, but he chose to stay and fill that interim role and he's done an excellent job. And so the church is currently uh, in the middle of a pastor search. And so, um, I'd ask, uh, Patrick and, and Dave and, um, and all the listeners to be praying for that, uh, that God would uh, put the right man in that position. And I truly believe that the best days of Somerville Baptist are in the future because there was a vision for Somerville Baptist church. And it's not you know, the vision of Somerville Baptist Church is not where it's at right now, but I truly believe that it will be there and God will take the church there in, in the days to come. And so that's kind of how uh, the church is doing. Attendance is is doing incredible. And, you know, people are involved, engaged. Um, the people are love serving the Lord. And so um, it's awesome to see that, um, you know, the church wasn't about, it was never about a man. It was never about one singular person. God used that person, God used that in a great way to, you know, evangelize, disciple people, encourage them to serve, inspire them to serve. Um, but, you know, some rural Baptist church is about the people and uh, it's not the people in and of themselves, but it's what God has is done through the people. And, um, you know, dad had a saying for, for Somerville, it was a phrase, only God. And he said that he wants, when people drive by some rural Baptist church and, and Dave, you know, Somerville, 700 people, one stoplight, there's nothing. And um, for a church who, you know, when it was in its full strength and when dad wasn't sick and pre-COVID was knocking on the door of 700 in a town of 700, it's only God. Only God could do that. And so that's what it still is. It's still only God working through the people, uh, working through Somerville Baptist Church to to change the world for Christ. And so, um, uh, I'm very happy to see how God is still continuing to use uh, Somerville Baptist Church. Well, I appreciate your your spirit, and I, I know you know the scriptures well, where we read that God allows us to suffer and to be comforted, so that we can comfort others when they are suffering. Yeah. It's just whether we like it or not, that's what the scripture says. Yeah. And uh, just as you were talking, I was thinking about how many people will identify with little elements of what you've been through. Um, you, know, you mentioned breast cancer. We've lost. Yeah tons of people over the, over the years in our church through, through breast, breast cancer. My mom's a breast, breast cancer survivor. Uh, and the interim pastor issue, you know, I, I served as an interim pastor and I, I sympathize with the challenge. If I could, if I could oversimplify the case, he has all the responsibility, but none of the power. <laughs> now that's an oversimplification, but yeah. it, it can be very stressful. So he definitely yeah. needs prayer. Yeah. Uh, pray, praise the Lord that God's using him there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me this, uh, Zach. 
what will you tell your own children if you, if you have children someday or your nephews or your nieces about your dad? What is his legacy? What did he produce that he's handed down to you and to others? Well, you know, thinking about, you know, that question, what am I going to tell my kids? And there's so much to tell. There was so much, uh, you know, dad was a very interesting person. He was, um, you know, a very, a very private person with personal struggles and everything. Um, and really mom would be the only one in the last days, me and uh, a couple of my siblings, but you know, a very private person, but he loved people. And I think that is, um, that's probably one of the greatest things that hopefully I will take into my ministry and that he taught me is, is to love people. And I remember when we would go to eat, he would always randomly text us, you know, let's go to breakfast. And so uh, when I would go to breakfast with him, he always, without fail, would ask the waitress. He would introduce himself. I'm Shane. I'm the pastor at Somerville Baptist. And he would say, you know, is there anything I can pray, pray for you about? And, um, and I remember watching, you know, time after time, waitresses just break down in the middle of their job, you know, talking about their son who was a drug addict or, or their husband who just left them or, you know, their parents are, are sick or, um, you know, they can't pay the bills or just anything. Um, and I just remember dad loving on those people. And I, and I used to get, I used to get embarrassed at that. Uh, you know, dad, we're here eating breakfast, you know, you know, we're not even in the church, you know, let's, you know, just eat breakfast and not make it, you know, not make everybody look at us. You know, we're praying with this woman in the middle of a restaurant and, you know, what will this lady think? What will this waitress think of us? And, um, one time dad noticed that I was embarrassed about it. And he said, Zach, no one will ever hate you for loving them. And that's something that, you know, really stuck out to me that I think at least practically I will take in life. No one, no one will ever hate you for loving them. And, and it's never wasted time loving on someone because really as, as believers, what we're doing is we're manifesting Christ's love in us. And so it's never time wasted loving on others and, um, and, uh, taking opportunity to share the gospel with them, sharing Christ's love with them. Um, not just in the actions we do, but in the message we give. And so, um, that's probably one of the greatest things. And just the focus on, you know, big God, small me, you know, it's God doing it through me. And that's what, that's what dad's legacy will be. Not because I'm carrying it forward or, Somerville Baptist Church is carrying it forward, but because, because God is carrying it forward, because dad lived a life that was so focused on God, that was only God, and that that legacy will carry that forth. And so it won't be, it won't be me carrying that legacy. It will be God through me. It won't be Somerville Baptist Church carrying that legacy. It will be God through Somerville Baptist Church. And, and so that's probably the one thing that I'll take in that I'll share with my children is to make God big. You know, this is what, this is what your grandfather did. Um, I'll tell my grandkids, this is what your great grandfather did and generation and generation to pass that down, that producing a legacy isn't something that we do. It's something that we allow God to do through us. And that is where the most lasting legacies, that's where uh, the most fruitful legacies I believe come from. We just had a funeral of a man um, here at, at the church I serve at, um, his name's Bob Harris, and he was a janitor at a Christian school, teacher at a Christian school for 40 years. 
loved others, gave to others his entire life, um, just allowed to be used in, in quiet places. And um, I'm telling you, his funeral, I, I've been to funerals of, of wealthy businessmen, of, of people um, of affluent status, and his funeral touched my heart in a way that, you know, all those people who had earthly accomplishments never could because their legacy wasn't, wasn't, wasn't God working through them. Their legacy was what they could build. And so that's what I'll share with my kids. That's what I'll, that's what I'll try to emulate in my own life is to, is just to, you know, allow God to use me. And God has a great plan for each of us. Um, he's working in Herlock. He's working in Somerville. He's working in uh, South Metro Atlanta, where I am. But we just have to let him use us. It's not about what we can do. Uh, it's about what God wants to do through us. So that's the thing I'll take away from dad's life is, is only God. He'll do it. Well, interestingly, when I moved up here to Maryland, uh, your father texted me several times, which I had not texted him. And uh, it may feel strange for me to say this, you know, looking at you in the eyes. But to me, your father was a big wig and I was a peon. OK, so the fact that he knew I existed surprised me. Right. Uh, he, once I figured once he took my place in the, in the classroom, you know, I was a forgotten shadow. Uh, and it wasn't because of anything in him. I just, you know, to, to me, he was a senior pastor with experience. Uh, he had always impressed me with his, with his eloquence and his compassion, those kind of things, and his coolness, just to be honest with you. And so it shocked me that, you know, he reached out several times just to say, hey, I'm praying for you. Hope you have a good Sunday and those kind of things. Yeah, yeah well, you know, that's how that's how dad was with, you know, early senior pastors, pastors who had, you know, been burnt out. And, um, you know, maybe not treated as well as they should have been at previous churches. And um, that's really what the staff of Somerville Baptist became. It became, you know, dad would bring in a guy who, who had been hurt previously, who had been burnt out. He would encourage him, mentor him. Um, and so now we have, you know, we have, there's a guy, pastors in, in Jamestown, Tennessee, dad's best friend in the world. And, and. I won't say he was hurt, but but dad really used that to mentor him into being a senior pastor. He's doing a fantastic job. We have preacher boys all over the country, really, that dad brought up through youth group. And there's a really cool picture. It's 10 or 12 guys in high school and college sitting around the table with dad at Libby's Catfish Diner for breakfast and um, in Priceville and um, just mentoring. And so now we have we have one of them. Uh, one of the preacher boys, he's an assistant pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, another one is um, he's serving at a church in Gulf Breeze, Florida, right outside Pensacola. A couple of them are, are still in the church serving at Somerville. Uh, one is uh, hoping to make plans to go serve in a church plant here pretty soon. Um, I'm serving at a church in Atlanta, South Metro Atlanta. And um, and so, you know, that's 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 just what he did. He was just there to help. He was there to mentor. And God used him in a great way to um, to really assist pastors to get them back on their feet. And um, and now they've gone and and taken the churches there at what they've learned at Somerville, how to how to grow a church in the middle of nowhere. They've taken that and all over the country. And uh, now they're building their own churches by only God and through, you know, really through the, the Somerville model of loving others and discipling them and enabling them to serve. 
And so, um, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's another aspect of dad's legacy. Um, you know, those preacher boys that he invested so much time in. And so I'm privileged to be a part of that, that group, that brotherhood, whatever it may be. But, um, but I'm really privileged to be a part of that. So what you're saying is uh, Shane, Shane Lewis was the Nick Saban of Baptist churches. <laughs> time will tell, time will tell, you know, um, four years in college is different than 50 years in ministry. So time will tell, you know, how God will use that mentorship, but I'm sure dad wouldn't mind you associating him uh, or comparing him to Nick Saban. I don't, I don't know that anyone would mind that, but um, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, well, just a couple more questions here yeah. and I'll, I'll let you go. How I know the life of your father you know, has touched you in more ways than you could ever describe. How has the loss of your father changed you already? I can remember um, November of um, 2019. I had gone with dad to a men's conference he was speaking at. And a, uh, a man in our church had just lost his father about two months before that. And uh, he had been faithful to church, was a door greeter, was there every time the doors were open, faithful. And I can remember I was frustrated. I was friends with this man's son. I said, Dad, you know, why is what, what's the deal with this guy? Why doesn't he, why isn't he in church? And he said, Zach, a man's loss of his father affects him in a way that nothing else can. And back then I just thought, you know, it was, you know, a wise saying that I would never have to experience this soon. But now that I'm here, it, it's true. It's, it's hard to put into words, you know, several nights where you cry going to sleep, even now, seven, eight months out, you know, a song that you sang with him or a song that reminds you of him that makes you cry. A, um, a situation you're in where you wish you could call him and just one phone call would, you know, resolve the whole situation, but you can't make that phone call. And um, just situations that remind you of his absence. And, you know, personally for me in my own life, a lot of things I did in my life and that I was successful at, I did because of dad. He was the motivation. You know, I enjoy singing. Dad taught me how to sing. Dad's a, dad was way, way better of a singer than I'll ever be. But I sang and, you know, I went to the fine arts competitions in high school and and everything like that. And I sang, you know, in church, I sang in all these things because of dad. Obviously, I was singing for God, but dad was kind of that one that pushed me to it. You know, I played sports in high school, um, basketball, football, and I did all these things growing up for dad. Um, you know, dad was a lot of the reason why I wanted to go into ministry, seeing how God used him. And I know God had called me to it, but that was one of the things seeing dad encourage me to answer that call. And so now that I'm in ministry, I'm able to serve through music and all these things. Now that that earthly motivation is gone, I'll be frank with you. It's, um, it's really hard to find motivation. And I know as time goes on and as I draw closer to the Lord, he will, he will help that. But right now, just the, the motivation I desire to love people. I desire to serve people. But, you know, at the end of the day, when I sit there and, you know, evaluate, you know, there's no one to call. There's no one to say, hey, dad, look what I check out what I did. Hey, dad, led this person to the Lord today. 
you know, hey, dad, in our young adults ministry, we had this many people, this many first time guests. There's just and and I miss that because there was so much excitement about those things with dad. You know, dad, I, I threw in high school, dad, I threw three touchdowns tonight. Oh, man, that's awesome. Um, and, and all those things. And um, and now there's people to call, obviously, but no one that has as much time invested in me as dad did. And so that's one thing that I guess I've lost that motivation for, uh, earthly speaking. I'll always do everything for God, but it also encourages me. You know, I don't know if dad can see what I'm doing. I don't know if he knows the progress that I may be making in ministry or anything. But I do know that one day I will give an account for my life. And I just hope and pray that when I get there, dad will be able to see and hear everything that's happened and all the ways that that God used dad in my life that, you know, gave me a love for ministry and that um, I'm using now. And so the loss has been, you know, very hard for me. And it's not, it's not something I can't think about. It's just something that's continually on my mind, but God has daily given me grace. The pastor I work for, he's really been a mentor to me. And, you know, just kind of, you know, trying to establish that father figure in my life who I can go to. Um, And that's honestly, that's, that's a big decision for me because me and my dad and I were so close and now that's not there, but I still desire that father figure. And so that's not something I'm taking lightly. It's something I'm, because my dad has such a huge impact in my life. That's something I've been praying over, especially recently, you know, who, who should that be in my life um, that I go to for advice that I go to when I had a good day that I go to when I had a bad day. And I understand I'm single right now. I understand that, you know, when I get married, your wife becomes that Tanya is that for you. But, you know, right now it's just um, trying to establish that, that figure in my life. And, um, and I know to people who have lost a loved one, they understand what I'm talking about. Um, People who haven't, they will, but there's just, there was a void there. And I know the Lord fills it with his grace, but he also uses people in our lives to, um, to encourage us along the way. And so um, that's kind of recently how I've been dealing with the loss, loss of dad. And so, yeah, God's, God's been so gracious in my life and my family's life to supply our needs. And God's proven himself faithful time and time again. Well, Zach, you've, uh, you've represented your Savior well here today, in, in my irrelevant and humble opinion. Um, and you've represented your dad very well. And I look forward to uh, hearing reports back from our folks here about listening to this and being encouraged and challenged and taught uh, yeah. by your father's life and ministry. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, can't, I need to look this verse up. There's a place where I think it's in Revelation where it says their works do follow them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my, my, my father, I look to my father for, I look to him for a lot of things. I, I, I admire his work ethic. Uh, his respect for scriptures stands out above everything in his entire ministry and life. His love for music. And, and I, I purposely try to, you know, emulate those things. But he makes the comment that one of the reasons that the judgment seat of Christ happens at the end, basically, uh, of time. I'm not talking about the great white throne judgment. I'm not wanting to get into eschatology here, but he basically says, why, why doesn't God judge us the moment we die? Mm. 
Right. Yeah. And he says, because your works aren't done. Right. Right. When I read the book of Corinthians, the work of the spirit through the apostle Paul is, is still being done. Yeah. So um, your father's life continues, uh, not just in heaven with the Lord, but uh, through you and, and through what he taught and what he exemplified. It's interesting. And I have a terrible memory, so that's part of it. But there are a lot of men that I can quote various things that they've said over the years. I can only remember two words from your father's whole ministry. And it's only God. Uh, and I think that's appropriate. You know, that's all, I, that's, that's all, I, that's all he wants it to be. Yeah. That's all he wants and, you to remember. Yep. And, and I have chills as I say that, because I know that kind of thing is a work of the Holy spirit, right? Um, that he would allow something that important to eclipse everything else from an outsider. I mean, obviously those of you who are real close to him, you got millions of memories and stuff, but yeah. Um, anyway, thank you so much. I, I'm sure this was uh, difficult and, and, and painful and joyful to, you know, to do, but, uh, I'm glad to get to know your father better through this and uh, looking forward to sharing this with others. So yes. appreciate it so very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. So thanks Patrick and Zach for spending time with me today. And I want to thank the guy who's sitting across from the table, uh, from me. Y'all can't see him or hear him, but this is William Hickey. And uh, he's been sitting here with me at Cracker Barrel throughout this entire podcast recording, patiently ordering me tea and so forth while I, while I do my work. Uh, y'all pray for William. He has uh, no skin on his right leg. Is that the right leg? On his left leg. He has no skin on his left leg from his knee down to his ankle. He hasn't had skin on his leg for nine years. Actually, it's more than that now. It was nine years when I met him. And uh, we just got back from a vascular specialist and they're giving him no no solutions um, they're giving him no 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 hope uh, they're just you know get your leg cut off is what they keep telling him. so y'all can pray for William Hickey as he continues uh, to battle this so again thank you Zach for helping to preserve the legacy of your father and God's grace upon him uh, and upon your family I pray for God's richest blessings on you Zach on you Patrick and on your families, your ministries, and of course, upon our listeners. To all of you out there listening on the various podcast platforms, be sure to let others know about this podcast and uh, listen to other episodes as well. Like, share, subscribe, comment, all the things that you can do to help the good message of the gospel go forth. And please make sure that you pray for Zach and his family. Thank you all for listening.